Welcome to the Sunday Morning Podcast from Kingdom Faith Church in Burgess Hill. This message is by Kevin Vanderput. It's so good to be together. It's so good to worship. Even if we can't, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to break it to you. I sang, yeah, I just hear here or there. There's a, yeah. Anyway, we, we'll, we'll just ignore that. But um, it's so hard not to, isn't it? Because you just, your heart is just kind of coming out and you just want to scream and shout. And uh, I'm just glad we can do this together, honestly. Um, and soon he'll be without any restrictions. Thank you, Jesus. Um, great. So um, if you don't know me, I'm Kevin. Um, there you go. I'm super happy that I'm here today with you guys, as I've said. And I've, as Sharon said earlier, today's a special Sunday. It's Pentecost Sunday uh, in the church calendar. It's a very special Sunday because we celebrate the fact that the Holy Spirit came uh, upon the disciples. And uh, since it's all about the Spirit... You can guess that the Spirit is going to come in the message somewhere. So uh, looking forward to that. But we've been in a series, if you've been following us online prior to today, that's called Jesus Said. And uh, we're looking at the words that Jesus said. And so that makes sense. Last week, we had such a powerful time. Uh, We looked at, uh, we're kind of taking this uh, passage uh, called the Beatitudes, and so we're looking at all the verses from there that Jesus spoke, uh, as also called the Sermon on the Mount. But anyways, Jesus said, blessed are those who mourn. That's what we looked at last week. And it can sound like, oh, what, what was that? But it was actually a great message. It was a great conversation between Pastor Clive and Roger. And if you haven't heard it, I encourage you, just make time to listen to it this week. You can watch it on YouTube as well. Uh, it was just uh, such a, a good message. Uh, and today we're going to carry on from there and uh, we're going to look at the next verse. So um, our base verse is found in Matthew 5. That's where the Beatitudes are. So if you want to make your way to that. Uh, and so, yes, as I said, last week was blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. This week we're going to look at blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they will be filled. Now, first thing first, I've got to lay some background some context because actually the context in which the beatitudes are shared is really important and you find out right at the end of chapter four so if you just look a little bit up from chapter five it might be on the previous page in your bible but in chapter four verse 24 it says news about him speaking of jesus uh, spread all over syria and people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases those suffering severe pain the demon possessed those having seizures and the paralyzed and he healed them large crowds from galilee the capitalists jerusalem judea and the region across the jordan followed him and so through this verse in chapter four we can see that the crowd that jesus is addressing then in chapter five when he shares those beatitudes are not the powerful ones of society they're not the uh people with status and power they're kind of like the lowly ones of society the ones we could describe as powerless right and of course we uh well you might think that actually jesus is speaking to his disciples at that point like the 12 but actually the 12 aren't even called if you've been watching the chosen you will know anyone be watching Uh, okay um it's brilliant if you haven't go watch it Spend a couple hours. It'll be good for you. Um, 
But actually, yeah, he's called four at that point, two sets of brothers. They're all fishermen, which again kind of fits in that category. They're not people of status and power. They're kind of powerless again. So remember that. It's going to make sense in a minute. Remember who he's talking to when he shares those Beatitudes, keep that in mind. And so Jesus starts teaching, blessed are those, blessed are those, blessed are those. And we get to, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Now, what does this word righteousness mean? It's a word that's used a lot in the Bible. And probably a simple way to define it would be right standing with God or right standing with others. If you look at a should get a bigger table. If you look at a, 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 a normal dictionary that you might pick up, it will describe it as morally correct. Um, now, I do have to make like a side note here in our story, because when we talk about right standing with God, if you've been a Christian for any length of time, you've been, you will have heard this sentence. We have no, as a Christian, we have no righteousness of our own, right? And so if you haven't, don't worry, I'm going to make sense of it in a second. But essentially, if righteousness means being made right with God, we have no way of doing that by ourselves, right? No matter what we try out, no matter how much we try out of our actions, right? The Pharisees went down that road in the Bible, didn't go well. Um, No matter how much we try out of ourselves, we are imperfect people. We are going to make mistakes at some point. And so we need Jesus, right? Jesus came and became our righteousness. He, this salvation and righteousness is a gift given to us by God that enables us to have a relationship with him. So it's through God's grace. It's a gift. He is our righteousness, right? End of the side note, back to our verse. Great. Everything makes sense. Now that we have a definition for this word righteousness, Uh, we can go back and read the verse again and we can read it slightly differently because it says those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, which would mean essentially those who hunger and thirst for things to be made right. Yeah. So those people that are hearing that and they're like, okay, I fit in that category would think, okay, I hunger for myself to be made right with God. I hunger for people around me to be made right with God. And then if you go a step further, they would be thinking, well, I see everything that's wrong in the world and I hunger and thirst for things in the world around me to be made right. Great. But remember, who is Jesus talking to? People that are powerless of society the low people of society they don't have any ability to implement that change that they're wanting to see so they would have gone yeah great Jesus that's brilliant but this following thought would be well I can't do anything about it and so Jesus is actually is completely mad what he's saying if you'd like because he's saying you who are longing for things to be made right but can't do anything about it you are blessed they would have gone, wait, what? But then even crazier, second part of the verse, he tells them, you will be filled. In other translation, it says, you will be satisfied, which means you will see the fulfilling of that in the future. And so they would have gone, brain explosion, you know, what? Like, and, 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 and if all of that, they accept it and they go, okay, Jesus, yeah, okay, you're going to, this is going to happen. Things in the world are, are going to be made right. I'm going to be made right. I don't know how it's going to happen, but you say I will see it happen. So the next question would be, how, right? How is this going to happen? It sounds impossible. 
Now, it's not the first time that an impossible situation has been laid in front of people by Jesus or just in the Bible. It's actually a pattern all throughout the word. Uh, it's, it's very interesting. And if you go back, you can go as far back as Genesis 14. Genesis, the first book of the Bible. And there you see a situation with Abraham. And he was, I'd say, the first one that faced one of these impossible situations. Uh, he wants to go and save a member of his family, Lot, in Genesis 14. And he has to face four different kings with four different armies. Now, Abraham's the man, yeah? He's got a bit of a... He's got his mandem with him and, and he goes against the army, but he's still one against four and four armies. And you think, well, how is this going to work? And then eventually, if you read the story, you see it works. He's got success. He wins. And so you see this pattern emerging from there all throughout the world. Impossible situations, great odds against people of God or people that want to do right. But we know that if they listen to God and, and again, do things right, they succeed. So it leads us to this conclusion, right? There's something that needs to come into play. Something needs to happen so that these people that are listening to Jesus in those beatitude being shared are going to go from powerless to powerful, to, from, from unable to change their circumstances to actually being able to fix the world around them, Right? So there's going to be a game changer element, some trigger thing that is going to come. And, and you know, given that it is Pankhurst Sunday, you, you're probably ahead of me. And you're like, ah, we see you coming, Kev. Um, anyway, let's still take the journey. And um, actually, that game changer thing has been present all along in God's word. And um, you can read. But yeah, actually, if you read the Bible and you kind of go through it, you can actually miss it if you're not really looking for it, which is why I want to take our time going kind of from beginning to, um, to where Jesus speaks those words to find that game changer element. And the Hebrew word for it is actually ruach, right? It, it's breath of God. Now I've been trying to practice saying this word for a full week. Give me some credit. You're supposed to roll the R, according to my wife at least. You're supposed to roll that R and then finish with this thing at the end, uh, which is very not pretty. Um, and I can't roll my R's, so I'm going to mispronounce it for the rest of the preach, uh, at least one out of two times, uh, 50% of the time, but give me some grace, yeah? Ruach, meaning God's breath, right? That's the word, what it means, Hebrew. And uh, actually, we see God's breath from the very, pay, very first chapter of the Bible. We see God's breath is what creates the world. God's breath is what creates man, right? Adam is there and God breathes into him. <gasps> Adam comes to life, which is brilliant. And so it's been there all along. And the, in the Hebrew language, actually the same word is used for God's breath as is used for God's spirit. They're like one and the same thing. And the same word is also used to describe wind. Now Sharon shared the passage in Acts. She's kind of stolen half of my preach, uh, but it is about the spirit. So we are going to go there. Um, but describing the wind earlier, right? So is the same word again in Hebrew that is used for breath, for spirit, and 
for wind. And wind is powerful, right? You feel it on your house when there's a storm. If you live in your new builds, you feel it even more than anyone else because it feels like your house is made of cardboard. But hey, thank you, Jesus. We got a house. Um, and so, yeah, when the wind comes, there's a storm. You feel like your house is about to go. So wind is powerful. It's also invisible, right? You cannot see the wind no matter what. Well, it brings, you know, trees might fall and everything, but you don't see the wind. Same as God's Spirit, it's powerful and invisible. Our breath is what keeps us alive, right? We breathe in and now life is sustained. And God's spirit sustains all of life around us. So there you go. Now knowing, as I said, that is Pentecost Sunday, can you guess which other uh, passage in the Bible we find this huach word in? In Acts 2, what Sharon read earlier, yeah, when it talks of the spirit there, again, the same word in Hebrew, the same word would use, of course, it's Greek at that point, but the same root uh, would be ruach. Um, and when the, uh, the disciples are filled with the spirit, and we'll get to that passage in a minute, but I want to make this point real clear. God's spirit, this ruach word is mentioned all throughout the word. It's so key to everything that's happening. And of course, that's going to be our game changer element in our Beatitudes situation. But I want to show you how important it is because it's not only a New Testament thing. We can often think, oh, the Holy Spirit, New Testament, the disciples, but actually the Spirit of God has been there all along from the very beginning. And we see it coming upon all, uh, people in the Old Testament, like Joseph. And the Spirit comes upon Joseph and gives him the ability to interpret and understand dreams that people are having. Uh, we see it, uh, the, the Spirit come upon the prophets as well, giving them the understanding of what God is saying, the ability to then share it with God's people or whoever would listen at the time. And those same prophets, if you look through the books of the prophet, they speak then of, well, they speak of a world that God created that was perfect, beautiful, peaceful. And they describe how humans then came and like we have a tendency to do, we mess things up and, and, and the world wasn't as perfect as God intended it to. But then they speak of a time where God's ruach, ruach, God's breath is going to come and live within people, live in people and transform their hearts. We can actually find that passage in Ezekiel eleven nineteen. It's going to come up on the screen at some point. But it essentially said, I will just read it to you. I will give them an undivided heart and put a new spirit in them. I will remove from them their heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh. So even the prophets at that time in the Old Testament, Mr. Ezekiel, were speaking of that time where the Spirit would come not just upon people, but live within people, transforming their hearts completely. And it's at that point that when people are full of the Spirit, he's essentially saying when people are full of the Spirit with a new heart, they will be able to love God love people the way God wanted them to and transform the world that they live in. Now, does that sound familiar at all? Yeah, it's the verse we started with, right? Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for things to be made right, will be satisfied. A way is going to be given for them to fulfill that, and that is the Spirit of God. So they will be able to fulfill what even the prophets talked about. And Again, we've talked now about how, you know, the spirit is this game changer element that's been all throughout the word present and at work. And I want to show you how it then comes into one 
person's life and again makes all the difference enters Jesus. Now Jesus is God, right? We know that Father, Son, Holy Spirit, second person of the Trinity, Jesus is God. Actually, the Spirit is then the third person of the Trinity. It's a person, it's Spirit has emotion, etc. It's not an it, um, it's not a thing. But as Jesus comes to earth, we can see that from his, the moment of his birth, the Spirit is involved in the story as well, right? Jesus is born of the Spirit. It's not born naturally. It was a supernatural birth. We see then in Luke 3 that Jesus is filled with the Spirit himself. It comes on him like a dove and Jesus is then shining. Uh, it's a beautiful moment. And then in Luke 4, one chapter after, we see that Jesus then lives led by the Spirit. It says the Spirit then led him into the wilderness. So that was the first moment where Jesus is led by the Holy Spirit. And so Jesus then empowered by the Holy Spirit goes about and brings life wherever there was death, hope where there was hopelessness. He goes on healing people and speaking to them and transforming their life, essentially fixing what is wrong with the world. And it lays it beautifully in Acts 10 verse 38. And it says how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power. See how They go hand in hand. Wherever Jesus was, Spirit is there as well. And how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. And so at that point of the story, if you're right there, you can think, hey, great, Jesus got it. He's going to go around, fix the world. Let's grab some popcorn. Let's watch the story unfold. But of course, we are a bit later and we read and we know that Jesus eventually goes away right so he's not gonna fix it all but he had disciples right and so you think okay he's prepped them well you know they've been following him for years all good they're gonna handle the transition disciples have got it and so we get to that moment of handover if you like in Acts chapter 1 verse 1 to 8 now if you have your bible just get there we'll just um actually we'll read we'll read from verse 3 but it's also going to appear on the screen um, and it will say, after his suffering, he presented himself to them, speaking about Jesus, and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem. But wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? And he said to them, it's not for you to know the time and dates the father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Now, two things happen in that passage in those few verses, right? The obvious one is they receive the mission. They receive this handover thing where they're told, hey, you will be my witnesses. You will carry on the message. You will bring the kingdom to all of the earth. If you've been doing, what's it called? Um, Soul Winner Bootcamp with Andy Elms over the past few weeks, you know that we all have a Jerusalem, a Judea and Samaria. Essentially, we start with the world around us. 
our, our friends, our family, and then, you know, it goes on and on. That's what that means. So Jesus is leaving them this mission. But notice how right above, it says something weird because you think, well, he's about to go. They have to start the job. But actually Jesus says to them, do not move. Don't do anything, essentially. Don't go anywhere. And you can think, well, how weird is that? They've been following him for so long. They know the tricks. They know the things. Like, why can't they go? But there's something that they're missing, right? Essentially, Jesus is saying, hey, boys, you've had me and girls. But if you're going to live like me, you're going to need help. Because by yourself, you just won't succeed. So don't go out not having what I've had this whole time. And again, we see this link with the verse in Beatitudes. Naturally, out of themselves, the disciples are powerless to bring the change that Jesus has been bringing to the world with the Holy Spirit, which he had this whole time, as we've seen from Luke 3, where again, he gets baptized with the Holy Spirit. And so before Jesus leaves them, uh, we can see actually in John 20, he breathes upon them. Um, I don't know if you have that one on the, do you have John 20 there? Um, we can otherwise go to John 20. I don't know if I put it there, but... Um, I didn't actually write it in my notes. In John 20, Jesus appears to the disciples and he showed them his hands. Peace be with you. There you go. Verse 21. Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, now again, it's that same word, the the breath there that goes out. And he said, receive the Holy Spirit. And so he breathes upon them. Now, there are different opinions when it comes to this specific passage in John 20 because, well, then there's the big moment in Acts 2, right? And so there are different pass- uh, yeah, positions as to whether Jesus was actually giving them the Holy Spirit at that point and they received the Holy Spirit at that point or whether it was like a prophetic action of this is what is to come. But one thing is for sure is John's way of involving the Spirit into his uh, into his gospel, right? His, his way to say the spirit comes from Jesus and he points back to Jesus saying everything comes from Jesus. You will have to keep ne- uh, follow, uh, reverting back to Jesus to know how to go. And so the spirit then comes and then there's a big one, Acts 2 verse 1 to 4 what Sharon read earlier, where the disciples are in the upper room, the Holy Spirit come. And again, we're going to read it uh, just uh, because we can. Acts 2, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. And suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind. And again, you see this, you know, spirit, wind, and how, yeah, this analogy came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be like tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now notice again this, as the Spirit enabled them. The Spirit is the one who enables, the one who empowers the disciples and us today really to love God, love others and bring life where there was death. But then 
There's another passage in Acts 4, and this is all going to make sense in a moment. In Acts 4, verse 31, where it says, After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Now, why am I taking you through those three scriptures where it seems to be the same thing happening over and over again? People are getting filled with the Spirit. We get it. So you see this pattern emerging, and I'm trying to show you that actually the Spirit was there and they had this moment where they were filled multiple times again and again and that might seem weird and it might deserve a bit of an explanation right and what's actually happening is that when you're born again when you give your life to Christ when you submit your life to God you are born of the spirit just like Jesus was right you're born of the spirit and God's spirit comes and dwells within you now you receive the fullness of the spirit at that point it's not like you receive it in parts, like, oh, you get 20%, you get 40%. Hey, you're lucky, you get 80% of the Spirit. No, we all receive the Spirit in full. And again, you can see actually in Luke 4, when just after, so as the Spirit sends Jesus to the wilderness, it says Jesus full of the Spirit. It didn't say Jesus with whatever, 50, 60%, just a part of the Holy Spirit. No, he, had, he was full of the Spirit. And so we are all full of the Spirit at that point. And what then matters, what happens in Acts 2, what happens in Acts, well, what happens in Acts 4 especially, is this again, as we worship God, as they were worshiping God, submitting themselves to God, as they submit their lives more and more to God, they are enabling more and more of that life of the Spirit to come through, to be expressed to them. Essentially, we need to go on being filled with the Spirit. And he talks about that later on in Ephesians 5.18. It says, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. And the, the English doesn't do it really justice. But in the Greek, it says, go on being filled. So it's a constant, hey, we want more of you, Lord, type of deal, right? We want to keep submitting our lives to to God and we want more of that life of the spirit to be expressed through us so it's really not about how much of the spirit you have but how much the spirit has of you right and actually um to second Timothy I'm taking you through a lot of scriptures but we don't have time to travel every time so I'm just mentioning them to them mentioning them to you second Timothy 3 5 says some people have a form of godliness but denying his power so again it's not about how much of the holy spirit you have but how much is expressed through you people can essentially live as christians without ever expressing that life of the spirit essentially they'll go to heaven but they're never going to go and bring heaven down to earth now we want to be the Christians that are bringing heaven down to earth. As we can see, the disciples, they go out and start preaching the good news. They're spreading life, God's life. The Spirit is acting on their behalf. They, it's enabling them, right? Because out of ourselves, again, we cannot do anything. We need the Spirit. And so we see that in Acts 10.44, while Peter, it says, we're still speaking these words. So you move on a bit in the story. They've been filled with the Holy Spirit. They start doing all the action. And it says, while Peter was speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. Now, Peter was faithful in speaking out, following the leading of the Holy Spirit. But it's the Spirit that goes out and does the work. 
So again, it's not really about how much of the spirit you have, but how much the spirit has of you. And so we've gone full circle from where we started. We get back to that very verse we started with. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. And Jesus showed us the way, by the way he lived his life full of the spirit, changing the world one life at a time, leaving it better then he found it. Of course, Jesus was the fulfillment of this. It's because of what he did and his sacrifice that we can even have, you know, the spirit and live like uh, after his own image. But it's because of the spirit that we are able to do the same thing. After all, we are the modern disciples. We are the ones who model their lives after the one of Jesus. And we've been left with this great mission to continue the work that he has started, the good news of the gospel, so that all will know around the world. And we know, right, from that verse, from the Beatitudes, they will be filled, they will be satisfied. We know that the mission is going to succeed, right? It's not about, hey, is it going to work? Is Jesus' plan going to be, become you know, a thing? No, we know it's going to work. So the question is really, will we play our part in it? We know it's going to finalize itself. It's about us actually allowing the spirit to work through us. And when hearing this mission, it can feel overwhelming, right? Maybe we can feel a bit powerless, just like the guys when Jesus was sharing the Beatitudes. But God knows we're not meant to be doing it by ourselves. We have the spirit, the helper. The spirit is described as the helper. He is the one who enables and empowers And so we want to live in complete dependence on the spirit. We don't want to be those Christians that just get to heaven because, you know, we've given our lives to Christ. But we want to say, hey, Jesus, I want to be part of the ones who bring heaven down to earth. I want to be part of spreading life, the life into the darkness, the life where, you know, hope where there was hopelessness. I want to follow in the footsteps of Jesus. And that is that doesn't have to be complicated. Again, you all have the spirit within you. It is inside of you, listening to that small voice, you know, the prompting of the spirit, just like the spirit prompted Peter to speak and then the spirit went to act and rested on all those who were hearing his words. The spirit can do the same thing for us today. It's listening to that small voice, help this person, speak now, say this, hey, just listen, stay back. You know, all of those Little promptings, little things where you think, ah, you know, I might try this or I might do that. You've ever had that? You think you've tried three, four things, nothing is working. Ah, I might try this one more thing. And that's the thing that unlocks the situation or something happens. That's the prompting of the Holy Spirit. So we want to be full of the Spirit now more than ever. Now more than ever. Because, you know, church hasn't been the way we knew it for like a year and more. 14 months, Sharon said, since we last met each other. And in those moments, obviously, we've had church. We've, we've continued to have had church. We've had church differently. We've had church online. And small groups have been on Zoom. And we've all loved those Zoom moments. But we cannot just rely on church to feed, right? We need to feed ourselves and spend time with God. And again, spend time listening to the Spirit and cultivate that within ourselves. Because who knows? There might be a time again where... We cannot meet like this. And then it'll be you in your room at home asking, hey, God, what do you want to do through me today? Hey, God, what are you saying today? And letting the Holy Spirit speak in that moment. So we want to be full of the Spirit. And again, it compares, I read this verse in Ephesians, it compares being full of the Spirit with 
you know, don't be drunk on wine because that leads to debauchery. What does it compare to being drunk on wine? Because you, you're full, you, you have had too much to drink, you know, you're full of that. And all, you know, usually when, you, when you're drunk, all kind of your shields come down and people are a bit more honest, a bit more forefront, a bit more bold or whatever. Hey, does that ring? Is that's what the Holy Spirit does, right? When you, you might not feel comfortable doing something, but the Holy Spirit says, come on. Go talk to that person. Go do that. You're a bit more bold. It gives you that boldness. It empowers you to move forward, to go where you need to go. And so hopefully this whole journey from the Beatitudes to the Spirit has made some sense today. Toby and Sarah, can you guys come back? Um, and I want to just pray together. And Sharon actually shared um, a verse together uh, earlier in the prayer time before we started the service. Um, and it's found, it's the Passion Translation um, of um, a verse in Songs of Songs. And it says simply this, Then may your awakening breath, again that breath is involved, blow upon my life until I am fully yours. Breathe upon me with your Holy Spirit, with your spirit wind. Stir up the sweet spice of your life within me. Spare nothing as you make me your fruitful garden. Hold nothing back until I release your fragrance. Come walk with me as you walked with Adam in your paradise garden. Come taste the fruits of your life in me. And obviously it's very poetic, but it's such a beautiful passage of complete surrender. It's surrendering of our lives, of our way to do things, of the way of the flesh that it is described to, the way of the spirit. It's saying, hey, breathe on me, God. I want to be full of your spirit. I want the fruits of your spirit to be expressed in my life. I want to bear fruit for you. It says, hold nothing back. I want it all. I don't want just a bit. I want all of you. Spare nothing as you make me your fruitful garden. It's a beautiful passage. And I know I want to live my life like that. I want to wake up every day and say, hey, Lord, fill me afresh. I want to express more of the life of the Spirit today than I did yesterday. I want to represent you properly where I go. I want to be your witness. And I can't do that by myself. I can't do that by myself. I need you. I need your Spirit. I need your guidance. I need that game changer element. I need that boldness. And God gives you all of that. Actually, God wants to give you all of that and more. He wants you to live like that. So He will enable you. He will provide everything that you need for every situation that you are going to face. Isn't it wonderful? God thought of it all. He worked it all out so that we would have everything that we need to abound in every good works that He's asked us to carry on. See, I'm just, I'm not going to lead this response part, at least at first. I just want you guys to take a minute and pray that through. You've obviously seen through the message how important the Spirit is. And we know that things will be made right in the world in the end. And that it's actually about us playing our part in it. And so take that time right now with God and say, hey, God, no matter how the last 40 months have gone and everything that's happened, I want to lay all of that aside and I simply want you to come.
come afresh. Invite the Spirit. You know, go on being filled with the Spirit. It says, invite the Spirit to come so that you can express more of His life through you. Just spend that time expressing your heart, whatever spoke to you in that message to God. Maybe there are some things you need to lay aside. Maybe it's just taking a bold step forward. But it's just coming to that conclusion, I can't do this by myself. I need you, Lord. I need more of you in me. listening to this Kingdom Faith podcast. We trust it's been an encouragement to you. For more information and resources from Kingdom Faith and our other audio and video podcasts, please visit www.kingdomfaith.com.